This morning's sermon's passage is from John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, and it can be found on page 896 in the Bibles in front of you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, my wife and I, we used to live in England. And for those of you who don't know, I was, I was born and bred in Britain. Uh, but my wife is from the great and beautiful state of Washington. And uh, shortly after, after we got married, Heidi's family uh, decided to come to England and visit us. And as you can imagine, since I moved their daughter halfway across the world, well, the pressure was on. I wanted to impress the in-laws with my great country, you know, to make them feel like the American Revolution was a tragic mistake. And so naturally... I took them to the English countryside. You know, if you've, if you've ever been to the English countryside, then, then you'll know that it's, it's a beautiful place. There's rolling hills, old stone walls, lush trees, and, uh, and countless, innumerable sheep. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, you can always see them. You can always hear them. You can always smell them somehow. And uh, I remember driving down this quaint, winding road, and the in-laws are all stuffed into my tiny 
European car, and, and everything was, was so peaceful. But then, all of a sudden, out of the blue, this massive flock of sheep just ran out into the road, loads of them, and they were going crazy. They were running into each other. They were running into ditches. They were running into cars. I mean, at first thought I was—I thought it was some sort of plague of judgment, you know, like Exodus style. Uh, but I, I kept—I kept driving through this flock anyway, slowly and carefully, trying not to run over any sheep. But the sheep would all just run around the car, and, and I thought to myself, "These sheep are stupid. I mean, they're going to kill themselves." Couldn't believe it. But then, out of nowhere, came. A mysterious figure with mud on his boots, sweat on his brow, fire in his eyes. It was the shepherd. And he'd come to rescue his wandering sheep. And I, in my tiny European car, was as good as a wolf. You know, he clearly was worried that I was going to run over some of his sheep. And so the shepherd looked me in the eyes. And with this look on his face, I can only described as terrifying, he started to scream at me, get out the way, that was his accent, get out the way, and for a moment, I thought it was the end, I'll be honest, I, but then, praise the Lord, there the, the appeared to be this break in the flock, it was like the parting of the Red Sea, and so I, I put my foot down, and, and I got out of there as fast as I could, but I learned something that day, something that I knew in theory, but not yet in experience. Sheep need a shepherd. And not just any shepherd, they need a good shepherd. Someone who will go after them when they wander. Someone who will seek them and save them at all costs. Now, uh, when Barry read our passage a moment ago, uh, you might have noticed that Jesus talks a lot about sheep and shepherds. And uh, he's not talking about literal sheep and shepherds in this passage. He's actually using metaphors to communicate important truths that you and I need to hear. Uh, but before we look at John chapter 10, it might be worth stepping back and thinking a little bit more about some of the historical and biblical background. Uh, you see, Jesus uses some word pictures in this passage that would have been really familiar to his audience at the time. So sheep were everywhere in the ancient world. You know, they were, they were a bit like northern, uh, deer in northern Virginia. Uh, you just, you couldn't escape them. In fact, sheep were the most referenced animal in the Bible. And sheep weren't left to fend for themselves. Rather, they were completely dependent on shepherds for protection. Uh, the shepherds would provide water and shelter they tend to any injuries and chase away any predators. In fact, without a shepherd, a sheep wouldn't be able to survive very long. Uh, this is partly uh, due to them being defenseless. However, it's also due to them being unintelligent. Sheep were very prone to wander. Uh, they'd often get lost. They'd be unable to find, find their way back to the sheepfold. And therefore, sheep needed a shepherd. And so shepherds were very common in the biblical world. Without shepherds, there would be far less sheep. And sheep were important for wool, food, and sacrifices. And so shepherds were a very important part of what was an agrarian society. And they would, they'd work long hours. 
day and night, rain or shine, to guide and protect their sheep. Uh, Shepherds were also symbols of authority and leadership to the animals under their care. And throughout the Bible, we see that shepherds and sheep are used as important metaphors. So God often refers to his people as sheep. Like sheep, God's people are vulnerable and often go astray. Uh, They need a shepherd to protect and guide and often save them. Uh, So it shouldn't surprise us that God is often referred to as the shepherd of his people. He's the one who guides and protects his sheep. He's the one who possesses leadership and authority over his flock. He's the one who saves and gathers his wandering people. Uh, We could look at lots of Old Testament passages, but maybe the most famous one is Psalm 23, which we read earlier. David declares in verse 1 of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So in the Bible, God is the ultimate shepherd. What's maybe surprising is that the shepherd metaphor is not limited to God only. You see, God also applied the term shepherd to the leaders of his people. So for example, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, God says to David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. The leaders of Israel were meant to image God by guiding and protecting and ruling and caring for God's people. They're what we might call under-shepherds. However, the shepherds of Israel failed miserably in their task. And in Ezekiel 34, God denounces the leaders of Israel for being bad shepherds. And what I'd like us to do is just read a sizable chunk of that passage now because I think it it contains some really important background to our passage this morning. So maybe keep your finger in John chapter 10 and turn to Ezekiel 34. We're going to have this on the screen for you, but it looks like the screen is, is having some difficulty. So Ezekiel 34... using one of the blue Bibles in the chair in front of you, you'll find that on page 722. 722. All right, so Ezekiel 34. Oh, there we go. It's come up on the screen. Okay, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened. The sick you've not healed. The injured you've not bound up. The strayed you've not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth. 
with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord God behold I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Uh, so do you see what was happening here? The shepherds of Israel, they were not doing their job properly. They weren't protecting or guiding or caring for God's sheep. Rather, they were self, selfishly oppressing and harming and taking advantage of the flock entrusted to them. And so God declares in verse 10 of that passage, I am against the shepherds. In other words, there's a type of leader who is not a good shepherd. There are actually bad shepherds out there who oppress and harm the flock of God. Shepherds whom God himself is against. And so that Old Testament background is really significant because when we get to John chapter 10, uh, there's there's an important connection between John chapter 10 and everything that's happened in the Old Testament. But there's also an important connection between John chapter 10 and the previous chapter, John chapter 9. Because in John chapter 9, Jesus is denouncing the religious leaders for being spiritually blind. In their pride, they thought they were the ones who knew God. They thought they were the ones who God had appointed to lead his people. But they were mistaken. And so it's in that context of denouncing the religious leaders that Jesus starts to speak in John chapter 10. And so if you look back at John chapter 10 again, Jesus repeats the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. He says it in verse 1 and verse 7. And this was Jesus' way of saying, hey, everyone, just listen up because I'm about to tell you something really important that you need to hear. And in verse 1, he begins with a parable. He describes a sheepfold, which was usually a small area of land where the sheep were kept. And this area of land would, uh, would, would have a fence that had a door. And oftentimes the door would have a gatekeeper who would make sure that thieves and robbers were kept out of the sheepfold. And in Jesus' parable, the door is the only legitimate way into the sheepfold. So if you look in verse 1 there, if anyone climbs into the sheepfold another way, Without using the door, he's a thief and a robber. The true shepherd, verse 2, enters by the door. To him alone, the gatekeeper opens, verse 3. When the shepherd enters, the sheep hear his voice and he calls them and he leads them by name. In verse 4, there's a picture of a shepherd walking out in front of his sheep and they all follow him for they know his voice, Jesus says. So the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they recognize his voice. However, verse five, Jesus mentions that there's a stranger who, who approaches the sheep. He's not the shepherd, so the sheep refuse to follow him. And why don't they follow him? Jesus says, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So there's a contrast in this parable between the sheep of the shepherd and what we might call bad shepherds. 
Uh, the shepherd enters by the door, but the bad shepherds, they climb in another way. The sheep know and follow the voice of the good shepherd. The bad shepherds, well, they don't know his voice, and they don't follow his voice. Unfortunately, in verse 6, Jesus' audience don't understand what he's saying to them. We'll come back to the significance of that in a moment. And so in verse 7, Jesus interprets the parable for them. He wants to be really clear. I like it when Jesus interprets his parables for us. And uh, Jesus tells us three things about his interpretation. And it's these three things that I'd like us to uh, think about for the rest of our time this morning. Uh, so first, firstly, Jesus tells us about the shepherd who dies. The shepherd who dies. Uh, if you look in verse 11 there, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. He's the one who enters through the door. He's the one whom the sheep listen to. And once again, it's important that we grasp the significance of Jesus' statements here because as we already know, he's not just pulling this metaphor out of thin air. We've seen that Israel's shepherds failed miserably. And so notice what God promised in Ezekiel 34. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. God himself promised to come and shepherd his people. He would, set, he would seek his scattered sheep. He would rescue his flock. But notice what God says next in Ezekiel. He says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my shepherd David will be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Yeah, so God makes two promises in Ezekiel. Firstly, he promises to shepherd his people. But secondly, he also promises to send a shepherd for his people. And notice that this promised shepherd will be in the line of King David. In other words, this promised shepherd is none other than the Messiah, the Christ. And so when Jesus turns up on this, this, uh, this day that John's recording, and he declares, I am the good shepherd, He's making an astonishing claim. Firstly, he's claiming to be the Messiah, the, the one shepherd whom God promised to send. But secondly, he's also promising, he's also claiming, sorry, to be God himself. He's making a claim to divinity. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus turns up and says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is God in the flesh coming to shepherd his sheep. Three times in our passage, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says it twice in verse 11 and in verse 13. And what makes him a good shepherd? We'll look again at verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus declares that he lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus, he's, he's unlike the hired hand in verse 12 who's not a shepherd. The hired hand, Jesus says, does not own the sheep. Therefore, if he sees a wolf coming, well, he's not going to save the sheep. He's going to save himself. 
He's going to leave the sheep and he's going to flee. And as a result, the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And why does he flee, verse 13? Because he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus seems to be contrasting himself with the religious leaders of John chapter 9. He's basically implying that they're the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. They care nothing for the sheep. Jesus, on the other hand, he does care for the sheep. He knows his sheep and they know him, verse 14. He cares so much for the sheep that he even lays down his life for them. Five times in this passage, Jesus says that he will lay down his life for the sheep. He says it in verse 11, in verse 15, in verse 17, and he says it twice in verse 18. He says it five times in 21 verses. I will lay down my life for the sheep. He does not want us to miss this statement. And so we need to understand that Jesus is dropping a bombshell of nuclear proportions here. Because here's the thing, the death of the shepherd for his flock was not mentioned in Ezekiel 34. After all, why on earth would a shepherd lay down his life for the sheep? It sounds ludicrous. Sheep are replaceable. A shepherd's life is worth way more than a sheep's life. And think about who Jesus is. He isn't just any old shepherd. Remember how John begins his gospel? Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He's the eternal son of God. He, his life is of infinite worth and value. Why on earth would he lay down his life for sheep? You know, maybe a better question to ask is this. What situation was so perilous, so dangerous, that it necessitated the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep? Or let's make it more personal. What situation was so perilous that it necessitated Jesus laying down his life for us? Well, the Bible says that you and I are like sheep. Sheep who've wandered into danger. We've gone astray and we've become lost. We've rebelliously left the sheepfold of God and we've sought to live our life on our own terms. We've not wanted the leadership and authority of our good shepherd. We've not wanted his guidance or his protection or his care. Instead, we've decided that we'd quite like to be our own shepherd. Thank you very much. We'd like to be our own authority. We'd like to provide for ourselves and protect ourselves and guide ourselves. Each one of us has decided in our hearts that we'd like to live as we please, ignoring the voice of our good shepherd. The Bible calls this sin. In our, in our sinful wandering, we've ended up in a dangerous, perilous place because in so doing, we've separated ourselves from God and we've incited his just and holy wrath. And we're deserving of his judgments to eternal death. And so only if God does something about our sin, only then can we be brought back into the fold. Only then can we be reconciled to God. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to deal with our sin. He came to bring us back into the fold. He came to reconcile us to God. And since the wages for sin is death. The only way Jesus could do that is by dying in our place. And later on in John's gospel, that's exactly what he does. Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross and he dies as a sacrifice for sin. 
And, and this was God's plan all along, by the way. So in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, hundreds of years before Jesus came, we read this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter alludes to that passage when he declares this about Jesus. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. <laughs> I mean, just think about how shocking this is. We were all straying like sheep, ignoring God, hating God, rebelling against God. Yet the good shepherd still laid down his life to bring us back into the fold. The good shepherd became the sacrificial sheep. He became the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, defeating death. As he says in verse 17 of our passage, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And notice that this mission was given to him by the father, verse 18. He says, this charge I've received from my father in love God gave his only son yet Jesus wasn't a powerless victim he willingly gave his life again look at verse 18 no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again so in Jesus we have a shepherd who is both graciously loving and immensely powerful he lays down his life for, for the sheep and he rescues them from sin and death. Brothers and sisters, let the wonder of this sink in. <laughs> We're just sheep. I mean, just step back a second and take an honest assessment of your life. Do you remember how lost you once were? Even now, aren't you just so prone to wonder? How many times have you sought to live life on your own terms. Think of all the ways that you've gone astray. The ways in which you've rebelled against God's authority and scorned his guidance and doubted his provision and, and ignored his voice. But here's the good news. When we were stuck in a ditch, sinking in the mire of our own sin, hopelessly heading towards death, the good shepherd, he came to seek and to save the lost. When we were utterly hopeless, altogether foolish, foolishly oblivious, completely stubborn and inescapably doomed, the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. That's how valuable you are to your shepherd. That's how loved you are. It doesn't make sense. How can it be? But it's true. We're bad sheep, but we have a good shepherd in Jesus. We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But this brings, us up, brings up a question. Who are the sheep of the Good Shepherd? Is everyone one of Jesus' sheep? Well, this brings us to our second point this morning. The sheep who listen. Uh, the sheep who listen. 
So I, uh, I, I once spent a year living in the English countryside. And uh, I remember going on a walk one day. And, and this walk in, involved climbing over an old stone wall and, 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 and cutting through a field. And uh, like a lot of fields in the English countryside, this field was littered with sheep. And, and these sheep, they, they look perfectly content, bleating away, eating grass, taking naps. I mean, just living the dream, really. But once I climbed over that wall and set foot in that field, everything changed. The sheep got visibly nervous. They stopped eating. They huddled together. They, they slowly started moving backwards. Now, being the animal lover that I am, I wanted to put them at ease, you know, to assure them that I was, a, I was no threat. So I tried to pet one of them. Big mistake. The sheep freaked out. The flock went ballistic. There was this cacophony of bleating, and they all just, like, ran to the other side of the field. And so I tried to call them. I have no idea how you call a sheep, but I give it my best shot. But the sound of my voice did absolutely nothing to soothe them. It only made them more agitated. As far as they were concerned, I was a stranger. They didn't know me, and so they didn't listen to my voice. Anyway, as I left the fields, feeling slightly rejected, I heard the sound of a vehicle, and so I turned around. And out of that vehicle came another man. He, too, entered the same field. He, and uh, he, too, approached the sheep. But the reaction of the sheep was completely different. Because as he approached them, they didn't run away, but they actually drew near. And when he called them, they didn't scatter, but they actually followed. It became immediately obvious to me that this person actually knew the sheep and they knew him. That this wasn't a stranger, this was the shepherd. Now in John chapter 10, Jesus says that the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. So if you look in verse 3 there, the sheep hear his voice. And in verse 4, they follow him, for they know his voice. However, they don't listen to the voice of strangers. You see that in verses 5 and 7. Jesus has already told us how to identify the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Now he tells us how to identify the sheep. The sheep are those who listen to his voice. And that means anyone can be one of Jesus' sheep. So in verse 16, Jesus declares that he has other sheep that are not of this fold. This seems to be a reference to the Gentiles, the non-Jews of the world. Jesus here, he's speaking to the Jewish people and he says, I actually have other sheep that are not part of this people group. He says, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there'll be one flock, one shepherd. You know, to be a sheep has nothing to do with national identity or ethnicity or religious background. The true sheep of Jesus' flock listen to him to listen, they listen to his voice. That's how we know who are Jesus' sheep and who are not. So let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus' voice? Are you listening to the voice of the good shepherd? In verse 11 there, when Jesus says, 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What's your response to that statement? Do you believe what Jesus is saying? That you need a good shepherd? That you need someone who will lay down his life for you? That you need a savior who will pay the price for your sin? You know, when you hear Jesus' voice here, does your heart respond with faith and trust and joy? Because if so, that sounds like one of Jesus' sheep. That sounds like a Christian. Even so, it's easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? Because a, a true hearer of Jesus' word is also a doer of Jesus' word. So maybe here are some questions for self-examination. Are you listening to Jesus' words in the Bible? And are you doing what he says? Do you nod in agreement during the sermon, but perpetually fail to act on it? Is there an area of your life that you're willingly being disobedient in? Are you currently delighting in sin? Are there commands of Jesus that you, find, you just ignore them because they're just too burdensome? Are you happy with Jesus being your savior, but not your Lord? You know, brothers and sisters, we all struggle with listening to the voice of the good shepherd, don't we? And I think deep down, it's because we fail to believe that he really is the good shepherd. We lose sight of his love and grace. We lose faith in his protection and his provision. And we start believing that true life is to be found outside of the fold. So if you're struggling to listen to and follow the voice of Jesus, then let me encourage you to spend some time gazing at the cross of Jesus. I mean, that's why we do the same thing each and every week. See him there, the Lamb of God slain for you. See him there, the good shepherd, laying down his life. I mean, why would you not listen to him? Why would you keep wandering? Why would you return to the ditch and wallow in the mire of sin? The sheep know and listen to the voice of their good shepherd. In light of this truth, do you see how striking verse 6 is? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Well, look at verses 19 and 20. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? I mean, their response is tragically ironic, isn't it? The people are totally deaf, deaf to the good shepherd's voice. They hear his voice, and rather than think good shepherd, they think evil demon. And, you know, maybe you've had a similar reaction. You know, so maybe you're here this morning, and you've read the Bible, you've heard Jesus' voice, and you've thought, this is insane. I don't need anyone to die for my sin. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't deserve God's wrath. I don't, I don't need to submit or follow to anyone. I'm, I'm my own authority. Or maybe your reaction to Jesus is a little less abrasive, but maybe, maybe you've read the Bible and you've heard Jesus' voice and you've thought, you know, Jesus said and did some amazing things, good things. I don't think he was demonic. I think he was a good person. I like Jesus. But I don't think I can follow him. 
I'm not sure I can, I can entrust my life to him as my shepherd. I don't, I, I'm not sure I can say I need him to lay down his life for me. You know, maybe you're here this morning, and if you were honest, you don't know the voice of the good shepherd. And if that is you, what, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that that means you're still lost, still wandering, still in a dangerous and perilous condition. And the gravity of your predicament is really brought home in our third point this morning. And that's this, the door that saves. The door that saves. So in verse 7, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Uh, Jesus uses another metaphor to describe himself. He's not only the good shepherd, he's also the door. He's the only authentic way into the sheepfold. However, all who came before him, verse 8, were thieves and robbers. Therefore, the sheep did not listen to them. Uh, Jesus repeats himself in verse 9, I am the door. Uh, In the Bible, a door often represented like a a spiritual entryway. And in this this context, it seems to be the door to salvation. So we see that in verse 9. All who wish to enter the sheepfold and become part of God's flock, they must enter through Jesus. And if anyone enters by Jesus, Jesus says he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The image here is of security, provision, peace and freedom. This is life to the full for a sheep. If you're a sheep, this is the good life. And only Jesus offers this kind of salvation for God's sheep. So look at verse 10. The thief, however, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus, on the other hand, came so that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus, he switches the metaphor slightly, doesn't he? But the audience is still the same. The religious leaders, they were trying to enter the sheepfold. However, they refused to come through Jesus. They refused to listen to and follow Jesus. Therefore, they were metaphorically speaking, climbing into the sheepfold another way. And so Jesus calls them thieves, thieves who were trying to steal and destroy God's sheep. You know, there are many thieves out there, aren't there? Many, many bad shepherds that promise us life. Worship these gods, follow these rules, perform these sacrifices, give this much money, follow your heart, listen to the voice within, embrace what's true for you, and do whatever makes you happy. You know, if you do that, you'll find life and you'll have it abundantly. You know, these bad shepherds promise us us life, but they kill and destroy. Well, think of some of the other voices that we hear in Northern Virginia. Devote yourself to buying this home, getting this job, building this family, owning more stuff, making more money, earning people's approval. Devote yourself to these things, even if it means sacrificing your spiritual life, even if it means neglecting church, Devote yourself to these things instead. And you know what? You'll have life. And you'll have it abundantly. But these things never deliver the good life they promise, do they? 
religion, morality, materialism, worldliness, self-expression, whatever it is, all those things, they promise us life, but they inevitably bring dissatisfaction and destruction and death. Jesus, on the other hand, has come to give us life. And it's only in Jesus that abundant life can be found. There is no other door into God's sheepfold. Jesus says something similar a few chapters later in John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the exclusive entry point into the flock of God. Abundant, eternal life can only be found in him. So here's what this means. All of the religions and worldviews, all of the philosophies and paths are utterly useless, futile, deadly, because Jesus is the only way to God. Only he has died for our sin. Only he has risen from the grave. And so it's vital that we listen to him and him alone, that we recognize his voice, that we trust in his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. So if you've never done that, then I urge you to do that now, to listen to Jesus, to trust in his death and resurrection, to receive forgiveness for your sin and be reconciled to God. Only Jesus can offer you life. But Jesus doesn't just offer us a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, he didn't say, I came so that they might survive. He came so that we might have life and have it abundantly, he says, verse 10. In other words, the, the, the good life that we're searching for is, is only found in Jesus. The peace, the security, the rest, the comfort, the joy, the, the soul-quenching satisfaction that you and I long for. It's not, it's not found in being true to ourselves. It's not found in people's approval. It's not found in a bigger bank account. It's not found in a, in a, in a fitter, healthier body. It's not found in better grades or a loving spouse or a quiver full of kids. It's not found in the next promotion or the next vacation or the next Snapchat streak. It's not found in a shorter to-do list or an early retirement, or a political party. Just examine, examine your life for a moment. Examine your heart. Where are you looking for abundant life? Like, what is it that you think, if only I had that, if only that was different, if, if only my life looked like this, I mean, that that would be abundant life. Friends, that's a lie. A change of circumstances won't bring you abundant life. That thing that you desire, even if it's a good thing, won't give you abundant life. That thing your soul is looking for can only be found in the good shepherd. That's why Jesus says later on in John's gospel, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent Eternal, abundant life is found in a relationship. It's found in knowing Jesus Christ. That's what you were made for. 
that house you want to build can't satisfy your soul. That family that you want can't satisfy your soul. That pleasure you want to experience can't satisfy your soul. That career you want to achieve can't satisfy your soul. That that reputation that you want to earn can't satisfy your soul. You were made for so much more. You were made for fellowship with the living God. You're a sheep who belongs in the arms of the good shepherd. And that means that everything you need is already yours in Jesus Christ. You don't need some like special source to tap into the good life. You just need to run to Jesus Christ again and again and again because everything you need is found in him. So brothers and sisters, devote yourself to knowing him more, to trusting him more, to loving him more. He came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. We get a taste of that life now, but a day is coming when this abundant life will be fully experienced by all those who've trusted in Christ. We get a glimpse of that day in Revelation chapter seven. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, here's what you've got to look forward to. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in your great love, you gave your only son for us. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly laid down your life for wandering sheep like us, that you died so that we might live. And we praise you that you didn't stay dead, that you are risen and that you offer abundant life to all who would listen to you. Would you help us by your spirit to be sheep who listen to your voice in every area of our lives? We ask all these things in your wonderful name. Amen.